The reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And we're reading the first three verses, verses 1 to 3, and then from verse 15 to 24. That's John 14, verses 1 to 3, and verses 15 to 24. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I know in some translations of the scripture it says many mansions. I prefer the authorised version which says many mansions. Because when I get to heaven I'd rather have a mansion than a room. <laughs> <laughs> In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And then from verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, because he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. If you want a title for my message to you this morning, then I would say that the title would be The Legacy of Jesus. What a person normally leaves behind in their last will and testament is their accumulated possessions and their wealth to be distributed as they direct. And we're urged quite often, we see the TV advert, adverts too, that we, should, uh, that we should be sensible and that we should make a will before we depart this life. Because one thing that we do know for certain is that when we depart this life, that whatever we've got, we can't take it with us. Somebody says there is, 
there is no pockets in shrouds. And um, I, um, I think I've told you before that uh, towards the end of my pastoral ministry uh, in the church where I was at before, um, I, um, I did quite a, quite a number of funerals. But one thing I did notice that um, one thing I did notice is that behind the funeral procession there was no removal vans. <laughs> there was no removal vans at all because because they weren't required, you know. Because the ones who had passed on they they'd already departed. And I can and I can remember once hearing. Uh, a story. I'm not sure whether it's uh, whether it's a true story, but um, this uh, this story goes that there was two ladies who were having a conversation, and um, apparently what had, what what had happened was that um, what had happened was that uh, the the richest man in town had passed away, and the one lady said to the other lady, she said, "How much did he leave?" <laughs> And the other one replied, he left it all. <laughs> it was slightly different with Jesus because he left behind no material possessions. No bank account, no house, no land. His legacy was totally different. What did Jesus bequeath to us? His children, prior to him leaving this world over 2,000 years ago. Well, first of all, I want to suggest to you that Jesus left his peace. He left his peace. John 14, verse 27, he said, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. To you, So he gives us his peace. No one has ever exhibited such peace in the midst of trouble like Jesus. You remember when he was on the lake with his disciples and he got into the boat. And as he got into this boat and uh, after he'd been in the boat for a little while, then a storm blew up. And we find that. Um, that his disciples were afraid. The disciples, they were absolutely fearful. And you can, you can understand why. Because the boat was being tossed around with the waves. And, the, and you can imagine the, the rain was absolutely uh, throwing it down. And of course, we find that they, were, that they were afraid. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was in the boat, but he was in the back part of the boat and while all this was going on, with all, these, with all the waves and with all the rain, Jesus was fast asleep. Fast asleep through it all. And they woke him up. And if you remember, he spoke to the winds and the waves. And he simply used three words. He said, peace, be still. Peace, be still. And the Bible tells us very clearly that the, the wind ceased and the storm died down and everything was 
calm once more. And that speaks to us, friends, that whatever storms of life we have to face, then Jesus can speak peace into every situation, regardless of what it is. Is it possible to sense an inner peace that comes from knowing God's purposes? The answer is a very clear yes. We can know the peace of God. Despite the negatives that shout at us from all directions, this is the peace which is our Lord's legacy to us. A different peace, because Jesus said, the, this peace that I'm giving to you, it's not as the world gives. I'm giving you a different type of peace. This is the peace that I give. You see, we live in a world that is ravaged by sin. We live in a world that is ravaged by selfishness and war. And the world cannot offer this kind of peace. They might talk about it, but they cannot give it. When God's glory is reinstated, then there will be peace on earth as there is in heaven. The birth of Christ heralded the salvation that brings us peace. And that was between God and sinners. And the Bible tells us that we're all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So every one of us needs a saviour. Every one of us needs that peace with God. Every dimension of this glorious saving peace came to us as a gift of God's grace. It was a gift of God, God's grace. And the scripture reminds us that by grace we are saved. And that is not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is by grace. And so you cannot have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And that you can only have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. It is the only way. The only way is to receive Jesus Christ into your life as your Saviour and Lord. Everyone longs for peace. How many times have you heard people say, Oh, I could do with a bit of peace. I could do with some peace. You know, there is, a, there is a verse in the scripture that said, and, it, and it's been well quoted, that there is no peace for the wicked. And it does actually say that in scripture. Sometimes people, people make quotations, um, uh, and, and, they, uh, and I think sometimes I think they're in the Bible, but they're not in the Bible. You know, I can remember somebody, somebody saying to me that, you know, that God helps those who help themselves. It doesn't say that in the Bible. <laughs> it's not there. But it does say there is no peace for the wicked. The Bible, you know, that, that, that is actually in the scriptures. What it means is that there is no lasting peace for those who reject Christ. And for those who turn their back upon him and say they don't need him. You see, Jerusalem at the time of our Lord, they wanted peace. But what they did, they settled for an uneasy alliance with the pagan Romans. 
a number of Jews believed that they could make peace through, through armed revolt. And when Jesus appeared on the scene, that's what, that's what happened. They, they thought that Jesus was going to lead them in some kind of revolt against the ruling Romans. They thought Jesus was the one who could deliver them. They knew that there was a Messiah coming, but they didn't understand really what his mission was all about. There were others who retreated to the desert to form monastic communities, which were holy and detached from the rest of society. You see, many people today, they flout God's commands. And then they're surprised that society is so dysfunctional. They want peace, but they want peace on their own terms yeah. and in their own way. Our Lord's followers seem to relish the prospect of heaven's peace being offered through the peaceful king riding symbolically into Jerusalem. You can remember, uh, if, you, if you think about, it doesn't seem too long ago, the, the week before Easter, which we, we now call Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, not on a war horse, but on a donkey. And yet his opponents still protested. We don't want this man to be our king. You see, they acknowledged him. They acknowledged him as he went into Jerusalem. But the same crowd a few days later was shouting, crucify him. They wanted peace, but they didn't want the Prince of Peace. And friends, if you want peace, you need to receive the Prince of Peace. When we put our lives in his hands and are willing to open our hearts fully to him, peace is the inevitable result. Jesus wills his peace. And this is the peace that we're talking about, that, that the Apostle Paul talks about in, in Philippians. And he mentions peace and he talks about a peace that transcends all understanding. In other words, it's beyond our own understanding. It's peace that we can't even understand. And if it's peace that as Christians we can't understand, then how can the world outside understand this kind of peace? But like any other legacy, our responsibility is to receive his peace. If you had a letter arrive on your doorstep, and it was from a solicitor, and he told you that some rich relative, maybe who, you'd, who maybe you didn't even know existed, decided to uh, decided to leave you in their will, and they'd left you a legacy. Now, what would you do with that letter? You'd follow it up, wouldn't you? I think I would anyway. Yeah, I would. <laughs> you'd follow it up and you'd say, well, yes, how much, how much have I been? You know, that's, that would be the first question, wouldn't it? How much have they left me? How much money am I entitled to? And so you'd respond. You'd respond, wouldn't you? You'd respond in a positive way. Well, the same applies to the peace that Jesus Christ offers to every single person. He says, my peace I give to you. And he offers it to you. But you have a choice. You can say, no, I don't want it. Forget it. Thanks, but no thanks. But Jesus 
wants you to receive his peace. The second part of Christ's legacy is his example. You see, when we read about the life of Christ, the, there are many ways in which Jesus set us an example. And, I, and, and of course, it's good to have mentors. It's good to have people who we look up to, people who we respect. And I'm glad that in my early Christian life, I could look to people, I could say, well, I would like to be like that person. But our greatest example is Jesus Christ. He's the one that I really want to be like. I want to be more like Jesus. And we have an example, and, and, and we find the example in John's Gospel, chapter 13. And it says, in, if we can just have a quick look at that in John 13, it says, the evening meal was being served... <coughs> And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now that's good, isn't it? You know, he knew that he had come from God. You know, it's good to know where you come from. You know, a lot of people have got no idea, have they? Well, how did it happen? You know, they've been taught evolution and they believe that we, we just happened. But the Bible says that Jesus knew where he had come from and he knew exactly where he was going. And he could rest in that. And it says that he knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped <coughs> around him. And of course, we know that there was Peter who said, look, I don't want you to wash my, my feet. Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, look, if I don't wash your feet, he says, you have no part with me. He says, well, wash my head as well then, Lord. Yeah. You know, after that, didn't he? Remember that? <laughs> it's all here in, in, in John 13. But what did Jesus say to his disciples after they had observed his humility of washing their feet? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And in verse 15, he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And then he went on to say, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so we find that Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And what we have here is a wonderful example of our Lord's humility. I have set you an example. 
And what did Jesus say? He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, that's quite a hard thing, really, to deny ourselves. What does it mean? That means to put my own desires on one side. That means to follow Jesus. We can become so familiar with these words that we overlook the astounding claim that lies behind them. You see, there are two ways that are open to us. Each one of us. There's the way of the self-directed life. If I choose, I can live my life to please myself. I can do what I want to do. The self-directed life. The alternative is the way that is set by Jesus Christ, who calls us to self-denial. And that's why he said about, if anyone follows me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, then he must deny himself and take up his cross. So what does he mean by taking up the cross? Well, crucifixion in our Lord's day was a common sight. It wasn't unusual to see a man carrying a cross. And if you saw a man carrying a cross in those days, then you would know that he wasn't going to have his life redirected. He wasn't going for counselling. It meant one thing. It meant death. And that's what Jesus said when we said, take up the cross. It means death to self and being alive to God. So we put our own desires on one side and we do what Jesus said. He calls us to self-denial, choosing on a daily basis to forego self-interest in order to follow his leadership in living. And when our lives are in Christ, we do not lose our identity, but we discover our real identity and our real destiny. 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul was confident enough to to make a statement like this. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You know, he must have been living close to the Lord to be able to make a statement like that. Follow my example. Would you be able to say that to another human being? Would you be able to say, follow my example. Do as I do. I once saw a a car sticker that said, don't follow me, follow Jesus. I think that's a bit of a cop-out, really, to be honest, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> but you see, what, he, what, what happens here with the Apostle Paul, he offers himself as a model, only in as much that he models Christ. And the way that he imitates Jesus is that he lived for the glory of God. And for the good of others. He lived for the glory of God and for the good of others. And it's the same in the life of Christ. He lived for the Father's glory. The saving good of others. As Jesus died to save others. He lived and died to save others. What we do 
should be with their salvation in view. As Christians, it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge to think that the most important thing is for people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Because we know that without, without him, there is no hope. You see, there are so many people today who are living without Jesus. They're living without Christ in their life. And if they continue living without Christ in their life, one day they will die without him. And if they die without him, they will die without hope. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through me. He said, I am the way. And so we need to be aware, friends, of people around us who don't know the Lord. And then, of course, there's a relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes we find disagreements and divisions. If we keep in mind the interests of others, then we will guard against any kind of division or disagreements in the church. Philippians 2 and verse 5 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. This is not an appeal to imitate Christ out of our own resources, but rather by the energy of his saving grace that is working in us. You see, you think it's a bit, it's almost impossible. And maybe it is in some ways impossible to reach the standard because the standard is so high. And it seems like an impossible ordeal. But what it means is that although the standard is set high, not only does he supply the grace, but he supplies the empowerment as well. He lifts the challenge to almost unbelievable heights. But he also provides the power by which we can reach it. Hallelujah. He provides the power. He provides the ability to be able to reach up to that standard. The standard that he would expect of us. You see, the willingness should come from us. And then he will supply the power. But our goal should be to become more like Jesus. You see, there are many other aspects of Christ's legacy. There are many things. The other, the other one was he talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going away. He says, but I'm sending you another comforter. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. He says, he, he is with you and he will be in you. And so we, you know, we have that promise that, that when, we, when we come to Christ, we can also claim the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, it's not just a spirit, it's not just an it, it's not just a force, but he's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a person. And so Jesus said that he will come and he will live in us. And then finally, the other part of Christ's legacy 
Not only did he leave us his peace, not only did he leave us an example, but he left us his promises as well. Yeah. And there are many of his promises, and we, we haven't got time to look at all the promises this morning, but just to mention a couple. You see, first of all, in Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus said, For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Isn't that good? Where two or three. Well, there's more than two or three here this morning, isn't there? And when we come together, we know that God is there. We know that the presence of Jesus is there with us. Whenever we meet in his name, he is right there. He does not need to be invited, just welcomed. And you know, the dictionary defines a promise as a vow made to assure someone that something will happen or be done. That's the definition of a promise. It's similar to, uh, it's similar to the marriage vow. You know, that when two people get married, they make vows to one another. They make promises to one another. I'm reminded of the, uh, the missionary who, um, who decided, uh, the, the, this fellow, he went to the missionary and he said, uh, he said, could you conduct my wedding service? Could you conduct my marriage for me? And the, and the, and the missionary agreed to, and they agreed on a, on a day, and they agreed on a time. For this marriage ceremony and um and and when i'm not sure this is a true story by the way it probably isn't but there we go it's, you know it, it i'll tell you anyway and um and when uh, and when this fellow arrived at the church for the for the marriage service he got 16 women with him he got 16 women and uh, and the um, and the missionary said to him he says well how come you brought 16 women he says you you know you can't marry you can only marry one of them he says no he says i can marry them all he says i've got four better four worse four richer and four poorer 16 altogether <laughs> you see jesus made another promise he promised to be with us but he also promised that he was going to prepare a place for us he said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And then he went on to say, I will, in, in verse 3 of John 14, he said, I will come back and take you to be with me. That's the promise. I will come back. What a promise that Christ will return. After his death and his resurrection, he went back to be with the Father. But he made a promise that one day he would, be he would return. And every time we break bread together, and each time we hear those words, it's till I come. It's till I come. And one day Jesus will come. Make no mistake about it. The Bible tells us very clearly that one day Jesus will return for all those who know him as Lord and Saviour. The Bible tells us that one day he will return and all those who know him 
will be taken out of the world. And I tell you what, the world will be a terrible place. Because the Bible tells us that, uh, that the Holy Spirit, when the church is taken out, out of the world, the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the world. And it's the church that is a restraining influence on the forces of evil. And during that tribulation, the world will be a terrible place to live. We can rely on his promise to return. He knew that he would go through death and come out victoriously on the other side. And he alone gives hope and substance to what lies beyond death. You see, the situation, the situation that we find ourselves in, in the 21st century, is that men and women don't really want to know about the message of Jesus Christ. But we have a message and we have to convey and we have to communicate that message. You see, Christ's legacy is that he will, bring, he will give us his peace. He has left his example. He has given us his Holy Spirit. And he has given us his pro the promise of his return. What more do we need? What more do we need, friends? And the fact that we are going to spend eternity in his presence. For all who know him and for all who love him. He said, this is my legacy and it's for you. And that's why he went to the cross. That was why it was necessary for Jesus to die. You see, if we were good enough to make, to, to make it to heaven without Christ, then it wouldn't have been necessary for Jesus to come. But we know that he did come. And he lived a perfect life. And he died a cruel death. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. And he is alive today. And he's still in the business of saving men and women. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we want to thank you that you have left us your legacy. We thank you that you have left us your peace. We thank you, Lord, that you have left us your example. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to bless you and we want to, to thank you for each promise we know that each promise in your word will be fulfilled. Help us, we pray, to come before you this morning and to offer our lives again. As we sing our final song, we pray, Heavenly Father, that we will offer our lives as a daily offering so that you might indeed use us for your glory. Mm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.